coaches. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Collective Podcast. We are fired up this week. We get to sit down and talk with Nebraska coach Matt Rule. Coach Rule, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, th- thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to start this off a little differently than maybe your typical interview where they're just talking about football, but I just wanted to take you back to your childhood and you making the move from Kansas City to New York City. What was that like? What was the culture shock like as a kid? Well, you know, I was young. I was four. I had my fifth birthday in New York. And um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I knew any better. I know my mom tells stories about moving into like, you know, 32nd and second, um, you know, going from having a backyard and the dog and me playing outside to like her crying. I was like, you know, I, I had to go play on like a concrete <laughs> square, you know, a little square, little playground across the street. So it was definitely different, um, but I met a lot of great people in New York over the years and and loved my time there until I was, you know, I moved out when I was a junior back out to Pennsylvania. For sure. For sure. Well, I, I know just in doing some some research before the show, uh, your dad was a minister and, you know, I've heard I've heard you speak a few times and you definitely have a little bit of, uh, you know, a pastoral presence when you speak. <laughs> uh, how much how much has that Im- influenced your life and kind of your your own vocation and calling? Well, I'd say, you know, a lot of the reason why um, I am who I am is because of my, my mother and father. They both were, um, you know, they both had, they were teachers by trade. My dad was a high school teacher and coach. My mom was a teacher as well, elementary school teacher and special education teacher. And they both eventually moved into ministry. You know, my mom worked with uh, women in crisis and my dad, you know, was a youth minister. Um, so my dad would like teach, you know, high school at a, at a, at a private high school in the Upper West Side and teach Ben Stiller and all, you know, a bunch of kids, you know, from well-to-do families. And then at night would go down and, and, um, you know, run basketball clinics till two in the morning in, in really, really tough neighborhoods. So, you know, I learned at a young age how to get to know a lot of different people and, and see people for who they are, not necessarily always, you know, where they come from, or what they have. And uh, I think that's probably helped me in coaching as much as anything. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I know, you know, obviously being in Lincoln now, Nebraska, you know, it's the, it's the the biggest show in town, but I, I don't know if people necessarily realize like in Western PA, Penn State is is everything. I was I was actually born in Central PA as a kid, and um, I remember going to Happy Valley, going to games. What was it like when you were kind of starting to make that transition from high school football player to having an opportunity to walk on at Penn State? Uh, what was that? What was that feeling like for you? You know, I I grew up a Penn Stater. I, I remember being however old I was, seven years old, maybe six or seven, um, when Penn State won the national championship, I can still remember sitting in my grandfather's house in State College, even though we lived in New York, watching Greg Garrity catch a you know deep touchdown down the left side against the Georgia Bulldogs. So that's, you know, that's kind of my upbringing, right? Going to a Penn State game once or twice a year. And so when we had the chance to move to State College, um, that was uh, completely different, you know, and then having the chance to walk on at Penn State, um, what an amazing opportunity, you know, and I knew, uh, Dan, that I wasn't going to be an NFL football player. You know, <laughs> right. um, I, I wanted to be a coach and I looked at it pretty simply like, well, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, you go to law school, you want to be a doctor, you know, you go to medical school. If you want to be a coach, then you go walk on and, and play for Joe Paterno and something most people don't know, you know, I got there and I felt the physical had a, sh- I had a shoulder that had you know, kind of dislocated a bunch and became an equipment manager at first and um, spent the whole first training camp. I showed up to be play football, wasn't able to, and started being equipment manager, had a real appreciation for that and the people that were there. And there were 
wonderful people, Brad Shope and uh, I mean, uh, Tim Shope, excuse me, uh, uh, Brad Caldwell, Spider, who's legend, you know, legendary there. And they took me in and over time just, uh, you know, left that, wanted to go back, rehab my shoulder and ended up walking back on later. Is there like one maybe particular lesson that you took from playing for Coach Paterno? Is there like a, a saying or something that's kind of stuck with you in your your own coaching journey? I'd say a lot of things. I'd, I'd say the biggest thing, though, was um, was that he held the best players the most accountable. Um, you know, when you're playing for somebody who, you know, he'll he'll send he'll send a starter home from a bowl trip. And you're a walk-on player like me, you're certainly going to do everything right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, so many coaches, you know, they're kind of lamb killers, right? They'll throw all these other guys off the team, but they're going to give like 20 chances to the best players. And so as, as a result, the locker room's always a little bit crooked. I think the thing with Joe is, you know, they had great, great, great talented players, but he held everyone accountable. And he put a lot of pressure on players, um, but you kind of went through, I, I watched, I really never really had to because I wasn't a great player, but I watched some of the great players, they went through this phase of where he was all over them. And, and once they kind of got through that, then he knew that they were ready and um, practices, you know, we practice competitively and in a tough manner, you know, an old school football team. And I think the whole point of that program was that by the time you got to Saturdays, uh, that was the fun day. Everything was going to be easy right. because you had to do so many hard things. Yeah, no, no doubt. When, when you wanted to make that transition from player to coach, obviously you kind of went into it with this understanding that that was, a goal of yours. What did you do particularly to stand out? Cause you ended up coaching. Was it, did you coach for a year at Penn state starting out? Was that your first? And, uh, you know, Jay, Jay Paterno was always really nice to me. And, and so really just after I was done playing, you know, I started, started kind of like breaking down a little bit of film and helping out a little bit, nothing too much, but just kind of, you know, Hey, is this really what I want to do? And um, one of the best decisions that I ever made though, is I went and uh, went went to Albright College mm-hmm. to be uh, a Division three uh, intern football coach. And I remember I interviewed at Rutgers, and uh, Terry Shea was the head coach. And uh, I remember leaving there and 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 saying to myself, like, I you know, I hope I get this job, but if I don't, I'm going to be really excited to go to Albright College. Ended up not getting the job. And Sean Padden, who's my general manager here, has been my DFO for years. He was the wow. D line coach. Uh, I was the linebackers coach, and then Jeff Collins who later became the head coach at Temple, the head coach at Georgia Tech, you know, the minister of mayhem, great defensive coordinator in the SEC. He was our defensive coordinator. Wow. So, I mean, I was, Sean and I were living in an abandoned um, <laughs> dorm, you know, and up the floor above us were a bunch of uh, overflow students from Penn State Berks. And then we were living on the second floor of Sean and myself and a couple other coaches from other sports. I think we made $1,800 for the year <laughs> and uh, we got free boot board and we got a, a meal card. And uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm so grateful I did that because I had a chance to coach. I didn't just yeah. become an analyst, become a GA, man. I had my own position and I fell in love with coaching, fell in love with players. And uh, it was probably one of the more fun years I've ever had. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because we, had conversations with several coaches that are kind of at the highest level and they they look back on their time as a high school coach or a division three coach as some of their fondest memories um but i almost feel like with young coaches now there's so much pressure to get to the highest level possible as fast as possible but you just kind of reference the value of having responsibility can you give some maybe some more encouragement to some of these young coaches that are looking at opportunities that may present themselves and what's going to help them grow the most as a coach early on. 
Yeah, I remember being at one of my first, my first, my second, first or second convention. I can't remember which one it was, and walking up to Hal Mummy because you know I had had some interaction with him a little bit through Coach Paterno, and I remember him saying like he really had no interest in hiring me, and was kind of like, "Hey, listen, you know, there's some really <laughs> good coaches at the Division Two and Division Three level." But but what I was able to do, and I, what I would say to coaches is, I was able to have my own position group. Yeah, and um, you know, when you're coaching the linebackers at a Division Three school, I mean, the games are important, everything's important, but there's not the pressure. And the, and the, you know, the magnitude on you. So like Jeff Collins and Sean and I, man, we did some crazy things on defense. <laughs> right. Probably always weren't the most sound. I mean, when Jeff was at Florida and he was making this great name for himself, he had the Jumanji package and Sean and I would get upset like that. We were doing that in 1997. <laughs> yeah. Albright College. So, right, right. You, know, you were able to really become creative and, t- and, and make some mistakes in, in an environment where like you could see what is what does it really mean to coach? And to coach players that weren't there for a scholarship, but that really wanted to be there. And then that kind of carried it over to me. Um, you know, I, I remember being at Temple University in the first year. Our offensive staff was Ryan Day, was um, Bob Bicknell, was Jeff Nixon. Um, like we had three guys leave um, on on offense at the end of that year. And I remember, uh, you know, Al Golden and those guys, you know, I, I talked to them about being the quarterback coach. I, I literally went, Dan, from being the D-line coach to being the quarterback coach. <laughs> and I stayed at Temple, and it was sometimes I get jealous. Like, you know, Jeff went off to the Eagles, and Ryan Day and Mike Sarava went off to Boston College. And I'm like, how come all these guys are getting these opportunities to go to the Power Five and go to the NFL, and I'm not? And mm-hmm. But what I did have an opportunity to do was to stay at Temple and have all these different responsibilities. You know, like um, I was the recruiting coordinator. I was the D-line coach. Then I was the quarterback coach. Then I was the offensive coordinator and play caller. And then, then you know, then I, when Steve Adagio came in, I got a chance to coach the tight ends. And, you know, I was at Western Carolina, you know, 1AA FCS down in, you know, Cullowy, North Cullowy, Carolina. baby. Was, <laughs> one of the great places in the world, man. I was a special teams coordinator, linebacker coach. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got a chance to be the assistant head coach. And then Coach Briggs, one of the great, great men I've ever worked for, got sick. So being the assistant head coach actually meant something. I was doing a lot of stuff and yeah. had to become the O-line coach. And so by staying at places, you know, staying at uh, Western for four years by or whatever it was, four, I think four years, by staying at, at, at Temple for six years, I didn't have these huge jumps in my career where I was like, man, you know, I was kind of looking at everyone else like, why is everyone else getting these chances? But I was doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And it was getting me ready for when I had the chance to be a head coach. You know, hey, I've been a D-line coach. I've been a linebacker's coach. I've been a tight end coach. I've been an O-line coach. I've been a quarterback coach. I've been a special teams coordinator. I've been an offensive coordinator. I've been a recruiting coordinator. I've been an assistant head coach. I wouldn't have had all that versatility had I, you know, gone to the SEC. No, so, um, you know, I think there's a lot of merit in perfecting, and I certainly haven't perfected anything, but working on and improving your craft and also taking a lot of different responsibilities on by staying at, at a place like Temple or at a place like Western Carolina or Albright College. Oh, absolutely. It's it's interesting when you were talking, that reminded me of a conversation we had with Shane Beamer um, last year, and he was talking about how having all these different roles and responsibilities was almost like uh, head coaching school. Um, and it's just really interesting. Like I think a lot of guys, they get in a, a lane and that's where they go all the way until they become a head coach. And it's really kind of this startling realization of how much responsibility and how much your hands are in so many different aspects of the program. Did you feel ready when you became a head coach? Maybe you can never feel ready, but did you feel ready? You know what? Um, I'd say I felt about as ready as I could possibly be. Um, 
I mean, going all the way back to Albright College, like we we painted the end zones one year. Like we like we literally <laughs> painted checkerboard end zones. Jeff, Sean, and I as a present. Like I did that. Like you know, when you're when you're in the SEC, when you're in the Big Ten, you have so many resources. You have these huge recruiting departments, operations departments. Like you don't really ever do those things. But the way it was, at least when I was at Temple, man, I was walking up on campus to meet with you know the head of admissions to go through the recruiting class. I was yeah, doing yeah. all these administrative duties because we didn't have a huge recruiting department. It was just us. And um, I worked for a man in Al Golden that was unbelievably demanding and unbelievably detailed. Like that he, he doesn't get nearly enough credit yeah. uh, for what he, like what he did at Temple was outrageous. Like I came along later and we won a championship, which was pretty cool, but Al resurrected a program totally. and taught me how to build infrastructure. So I saw that all, um, I saw that all from the ground up. And so when I went back to Temple to be a head coach, I had watched Al. I had worked with him on recruiting. I had done so many administrative things that even at Temple now, I bet you are subcontracted out to people outside of football. But back then it was just us. And so, you know, when I went into an APR meeting, when I went into a facilities meeting, when I went into all these things as a head coach, you do like, like our guys are walking through, you know, today and I'm in meetings, you know, so, it, you know, you, you have to build infrastructure and you have to run yeah. a lot of different departments in addition to also being a football coach. And I think I felt more ready than most because I had done all this. Like I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, jobs come open and everyone wants to go hire the coolest play caller. And that's great. But being an offensive coordinator or being a defensive coordinator and being a head coach, it's like, <laughs> it's like the difference between being like a, an oncologist and, and a cardiologist, man. Like right. you're both doctors. You both went to medical school. I get it. But a cardiologist can't go in there and diagnose cancer and an oncologist yeah. can't go in there and fix a heart attack. And yeah, so yeah. calling plays and being in your office and drawing up cool things. I used to do that. It was pretty fun. That's not what I do now. <laughs> and so You're right, right. Um, I think just kind of growing up in an era, you know, without a lot of support staff and at a place like Temple really prepared me to be a head coach. Oh, without a doubt. One of the, one of the things I think is is really interesting about your time in Temple. And again, I I wasn't there, obviously, but just in reading about it and researching you guys really found a way to identify Temple with Philly, like in a way maybe that they hadn't been before. What was, where where did that come from? Like, obviously, you know, it's, it may seem like common sense, but really becoming a, a Philly program, like where, where did that come from? You know, I think Al started it, you know, Al did yeah. a great job of like connecting to the city and, you know, we ran the Rocky steps every year. And I think, you know, Steve came in and Steve, Coach Adazio brought like a different twist on things. And I think it was really good. We won some games. And then when I came in, um, yeah, I love Philadelphia. Like I consider that home, you know, totally. um, even though in Nebraska, I'll still always go back there every year. So it was, it's the little things that people appreciate, right? It's, it's, it's going down, out to eat all over town. It's being on the local radio shows. It's, it's, it's hosting camps for the kids and being, just being a part of the community. And I think that was part of it. But you know, Dan, I, my first year there, we weren't very good. We were, we were two and nine um, and we were terrible on defense and had a promising young offense. And the next year I did what a lot of the coaches do. I said, well, I'm going to bank on the offense. And I went full spread. Like we opened it up, no huddle. We studied Oregon. We studied everybody. We studied Baylor and we weren't very good on offense. We were actually really good on defense. We had like a top 20 defense. And at the end of that year, I remember saying to myself, you know what? Um, how did Al win? When I was the offensive coordinator, I called about 50 runs a game. You know, <laughs> everyone wanted to fire me. No one thought I was very creative, but we won games. Yep. And Steve Adagio came in and we ran power like 40 times a game. And so I said, you know what? What did Coach Cheney tell me? Coach Cheney told me like, 
you know, Temple's about being tough. T-U-F-F, yeah. Temple Tough. Like, what is Temple about, man? It, it's like when I got the job, Bruce Arians called me. He said, listen, don't worry about the facilities. Don't worry about all that because you have all you need at Temple, and that's people. And so yeah, yeah. I went back and I said, you know, we're going to – we're never going to beat UCF and USF with, with our speed, and we're going to beat them with our physicality if we have yeah. a chance to beat them. So I think the city identified with that, man. You know, I think the city appreciated that, and then – we had success. Notre Dame came in. Penn, we beat Penn State, and for a small window of time, I think uh, we were kind of the city's darling at a cool no time and place. No doubt. And then you know, it's interesting. You transition from a Philly school, right, in the Northeast, and then you're in you know the heart of Texas. And I'm I'm a Texas high school football coach now. I'm a transplant from North Carolina, so I'm I'm not a native son by any means. But when I got here, when I got to Houston two years ago. You know, the coaches here still tell stories about your time at Baylor and you coming in and embracing the Texas High School Football Coaches Association. And obviously, you even in, at Nebraska, you've got Texas High School football people on your staff. Again, like it's so interesting to me how you have this Philly identity at Temple and you're able to totally embrace a culture down here in Texas. What gave you that idea, really? Well, I think. At a, at a deep level, you, you you answered it when you asked me early on about my parents and yeah. you know, my parents are in Rwanda right now working at an orphanage and then they're wow. going to come back to Charlotte and then they were in Waco. I mean, like, like at the end of the day, like you, people are people and or you're, you're either there in life to take from people and see what people can do for you or you're there to serve people. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, as a New York City kid who moved to, you know, as a, as a Kansas City kid who moved to New York City and grew up there and then moved to Pennsylvania, like. Those are very different environments, but I learned like, hey, go find great people and embrace yeah. them. And 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 so I love, I love Philadelphia. I love the people there. I love the sports culture there. I love the food, the ethos of the place. Yeah. And then I had this decision to make. Am I going to Oregon? Am I going to Baylor? I, I remember calling two of my mentors, Phil Snow, who was my DC for 10 years. Right. Yeah. I said, Phil, like, you know, what do you think? And he's like, man, I think we should go to Texas. I think we should go to Baylor, not Oregon. He's a West, he's a Pac-12 guy. Right. Pac-10 right. At the time. And I said, I said, well, can we recruit there? And he said, Matt, like those guys love football and they love kids. And he's yeah. like, you love kids. And he's like, they'll, they'll see who we really are. And then yeah. I called George DeLeon, uh, who's probably my ultimate mentor, you know, legend. Best legend. And I said, George, and he said, Matt, I've recruited Houston for a hundred years. You know, he said, I recruited some great, great players in Houston. Let me tell you something. Those guys, it is only as you can say, those guys, those guys will love our staff and the way that yeah. we do things. Cause yeah. you know, going back to temple, man, like we never charged money for a clinic. We right. didn't charge money for a youth camp. Like we were there to serve football. Yeah. And so, I think we got to Baylor, you know, we made some good decisions by hiring Joey McGuire and David Wetzel and Sean Bell, but, it wasn't like we did that for their connections. What sure. they did for us was they then called everybody and said, Hey, these guys are for real. Yeah. Like they'll, they love football. They love high school football. My dad's a high school coach, high school yeah. teacher. My uncle's in the Pennsylvania high school coaches hall of fame. I love high school coaches. Dan I've hired in my time. I think I've hired nine or 10 high school. Oh, yeah. Coaches. Yeah. I hired two. When I got here, I hired Bob Wager and Phil Simpson, mm-hmm. uh, one from Florida, one from Texas. And I don't hire them for recruiting. I hire them because high school co- coaches coach the kids that come down the hall yeah. high school coaches you know they, they they get these kids to 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 their houses they get them home they they help them get their work i mean they, they just do so much for them and so i love, love that servant my yeah. leadership mindset so i did that at baylor and i think people responded oh i mean yeah without a doubt people responded i mean i think like i said 
Texas high school football coaches still tell stories about that and just um, how impactful that was and how much they felt respected, you know, and I think if you come to Texas, you got to respect the high school coaches. You got to do (laughs) Uh, But going back to that, to year one at Baylor, that was a tough year. I mean, huge transition one and 11. Like how did you maintain your confidence in after that year? I think because I had gone through two and nine, yeah, which is really one and nine. And I won my last game against Memphis that first year <laughs> yeah. because I had been through that. And yeah. um, that first year at, at, at Temple, I mean, I, there was a couple of times that we lost to Fordham and I was afraid I was going to get fired after the game. And I was like, Oh, they might, I told my wife, I, and my dad was on the field. I said, Hey, grab Julie, get her home. I called Julie. I told Julie, I said, I don't know what'll happen. I'll let you know. Yeah. But man, you know, Kevin Clark, Neil was our AD, Neil Theobald was our president, Pat Kraft, now the AD at Penn State, was the deputy, became the AD. They were so good. They were like, hey, Matt, just stay the course. Yeah. But what happened to me, Dan, was I was sitting in my office one day and I got a phone call and they were like, hey, uh, uh, Dick Vermeule is on the, on the phone for you. And this is at Temple. Right. I had met Coach Vermeule one time and he picked, I picked up the phone. I'm like, sir, like the old, like the office phone, right? Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Once in eight years or whatever. <laughs> And he was like, hey, Matt, listen, I, I've been watching your team. I've been watching what's going on. I, listen, I want to say this to you. Um, don't listen to anybody. Wow. Don't pay attention to any outside noise. Um, just, just do what you think is right. Um, yeah. yeah. Hire, listen to your coaches. Listen to your gut and keep coaching those kids. And I said, you know what? I'm doubling down, man. And I started playing the freshmen. I started playing P.J. Walker. I started yeah. playing Robbie Anderson. Started playing all these young kids who eventually became NFL players. And I told him, hey, we're going to take our lumps now, but we'll have the last laugh. And so when I was at Baylor going through the same thing, and it was hard at Baylor because I was replacing a winner at Coach Browse. Right, right. And a whole different style. Like I went from, they went from like, you know, spread no huddle to, we still were no huddle, but we weren't real fast. It went yes. from, yeah, yeah. you know, um, practicing in tops to me being in full pads two days a week. So, yeah. I mean, there was one day, there was one Wednesday where I was like, listen, if you guys don't want to do it, I, I told the guys don't even come out. Like it was really like a mutiny at times. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they were good kids. And, um, I remembered like, Hey, you know what? Like we did our best coaching in year one at temple. Yeah. And it was probably when I look back on it, it was so hard, but it was fun. And when we were winning, you know, when we were winning 10 games, it was hard to, you know, keep that up every week. So when I was at Baylor, I kept telling the guys like, Hey, let's just build relationships. Let's recruit. Um, we'll look back on this and say, Hey, let's make that. Let's make sure that this was our best coaching job. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So you have so much success at Baylor, turn that thing around so quickly again, you know, people still talk about it. And then you're getting all these phone calls from the NFL. What, what was it in you that was like, were you, did you feel like you needed a new challenge? Did you, was, was this, these, were these opportunities just too good to pass up or what, what was kind of been going through your mind when you were fielding all these, all these opportunities? No, like kind of like a slow build, like that first year, even though we went one eleven, I had one interview, you know, Um, and, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get the job, but, you know, I kind of was able to get on the radar a little bit. Then the second year I had two interviews and the thing with the Jets went all the way down to the wire and then it ended up not being the right thing. And then that year there were a couple opportunities and, you know, eventually went to Carolina. And I think for me, it was probably, um, I think we played Georgia in in the bowl game when I was like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to like, you know, you know, keep up with a team like this and has so many great players. And, um, you know, I want to go, maybe go to the NFL where kind of, it was less about other things and, you know, recruiting sure. and more about just drafting guys and the strategic. And then, yeah, you know, I think I wanted to take a shot at coaching at the highest level. And, course, um, yeah. um, um, you know, uh, I had, I had coached in North Carolina before, you know, it seemed like a good place to raise my kids. And so, um, 
you know, probably like the, 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 you know, I'd gone from group of five to power five, did it at the power five. Hey, can I go do it at the NFL? And totally. Yeah. And that uh, took that opportunity. Yeah. It was interesting when we were kind of talking about asking you to, to come on the show. One of the things we did is we went through and watched your interview on busting with the boys. And I was, I was so impressed with how you just handled everything head on. And honestly, like, I, I think it's so rare for coaches to just because let's be honest, like there's so much ego involved in being a football coach inevitably, but you were just, you just took, took it head on and talked about what you learned, you know, not all of our listeners are necessarily in their demographic, but what were some of the things that you felt like you learned most from that NFL experience? Um, probably a lot. Uh, you know, I, you know, I had to be so adaptable because I came at a really weird time, you know, you were yeah replacing a team that was losing Hall of Fame players and, you know, yeah. Greg Golson, Luke Keekley, Cam Newton. And, you know, so that was a kind of a unique time. Um, you know, um, COVID was really, you know, had to be really Man. adaptable during that yeah. time with COVID. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, anytime you're in a part of a team that's kind of like starting over rebuilding and, you know, finally, hey, let's find the, the franchise quarterback. There's a lot to that. So I learned just a lot of football and a lot of business behind the scenes. You know, I worked for two great GMs and Marty Herney and, and Scott Fitter. And so, yeah. You know, if you're only in the, in the, in the NFL for, I was in the NFL for uh, two years and and I guess five games, and I had two GMs. Like, right. So that that's so you have to quickly learn how to adapt and work with someone new. So I, I learned a lot about that. Um, um, I, but I learned a lot about myself probably most. I mean, you know, the the last the last ten months of that were as, as hard as a thing as anybody can go through. Like, no doubt. You know, just you know, you're sitting in a stadium and people are chanting for you to be fired. You're sitting in a you're sitting in uh in front of your kids and all that. that that's yeah, nothing easy man. about that. No. Um, but I, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I looked at it like, hey, you, you know, I tell recruits now, I'm like, hey, bro, I've been I've been coach of the year. Yep. And I've been laughed at, I've been a meme. And you know what? Somewhere in the middle, I found the truth. Yeah. And um, I think I think when you really know who you are, you can laugh at yourself a little bit. But also I'm I don't make apologies. I mean, I worked, I worked as hard as a man could work there. No and doubt. so no doubt. Um, the crazy thing about coaching, and I've said it before, is like you you go through adversity, you go through challenges, you have to adapt, you have to overcome, you're trying to figure it out. And when you finally think you have it figured out, sometimes, hey, you know what? They pull the plug on you and it's over <laughs> yeah, with. And it's no like doubt. you get all this experience. And a lot of times you get that experience for another team. Like yeah. Coach Belichick is the greatest coach in football, but make no mistake, the same thing happened to him in Cleveland. No doubt. And so he was able to take what, what I do well, what I not do well. Pete Carroll, same thing. All these coaches were able to learn on someone else's dime and then go somewhere else and and no exploit it and so i obviously didn't go back to the nfl i came back to college but the lessons i learned um the relationships i built with players there um the things i did well with players the things i didn't do well with players i think has just all gotten me ready to have my best coaching job done by me personally and then by my staff oh i mean without a doubt i, I think that all resonates and you know one thing one thing that i think is interesting is obviously you could you could have sat on the sidelines for a little while and caught your breath, but you love coaching. I mean, w did you just feel like, like, I know you've mentioned in interviews in the past that, you know, it's a vocation, it's a calling. Did you just feel like being on the field is, is who you are and you were going to, you were going to be back on the sidelines? Yeah. And I think probably it was the players as much as anything, you know, like the players of Carolina were awesome. I think they all called me that day. Like, wow. you know, Hey coach, I'm sorry. But it was like it was guys like Matt Ioannidis, you know, who had played for me in college, like, you know, waits like six, seven days, comes over the house, checks on the kids. Yeah, It's all the guys, you know, Steon Dawkins. It's all these kids who played for me in college. 
yeah. that were texting me and calling me and, and take, it's almost like a eulogy, right? Like <laughs> it's like the things they were going to say when I died, some of them said it to me then and they caught you a little early. And, yeah. And it's like, it's like, Hey, you know, this is what you've meant to me. This is what the impact you wow. had in my life. And like, you know, I got into this, I got into this. Um, and, and I always say this to people, like, I want to win. Like, that's our job. Yeah, yeah. I want to win championships, but like, I really want people to, I want young people to say like, you know what? My life is better for having played there. And yeah. I hope that I did that in some ways for some guys in the NFL, but it's a transactional league. I mean, it's really a, an X's and O's only league. I mean, in a person, it's really a personal finance league, Yeah, but yeah. it's also an X's and O's league. Whereas college is about development. College is about, uh, you know, watching kids um, go get master's degrees. It's about watching kids be the first person from, the, from their family to go to college. No doubt. It's about, you know, changing generations. It's, it's, it's so much different, but at the same, the same. And so I just, you know, I just couldn't sit there and, and not do that. And so yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was looking at like, I, if I wouldn't have done that, I would have coached, I would have coached one of the city schools in Charlotte. Like, as an totally. yeah. I would have, I would have coached football somehow. Um, but this opportunity came and, and, and Nebraska and kind of the, 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 the philosophy and the psychology of this program was so similar to temple for me. Like, Hey, yeah. They want you to play defense. They want yep. you to be good in the kicking game. It's a sophisticated fan base. They want you to run the ball and be physical. They want you to, they want you to, you know, pound the ball in the fourth quarter. And those are the things that resonate with me. Those are the things that matter to me. And so it just seemed like too good of a fit to pass on. No doubt. No doubt. Have you had since, since you've been to Nebraska, had a chance to connect with coach Osborne and, and some of the just legendary um, guys that have been on the sideline there? Well, yeah, I've, I've spent I've spent a couple. I've had a chance. Uh, I've had a chance on two or three occasions now to be with Coach Osborne. Um, I mean, it's I mean, it's a treasure trove, man. No it's doubt. unbelievable. And uh, you know, so humble. He was in here the other day, and you know, saw a couple of players, and I mean, he knew their high school. He, I mean, he knew them, but <laughs> like, we heard their name. Like he he knew from them from recruiting. Uh, Thirty years later, I mean, it's unbelievable. Wow. I mean, so. 25 years later, excuse me. And then, you know, Coach Solich and I have a pretty good relationship. I've talked to yeah. Coach Bellini. So, you know, I've had a chance to talk to some of those guys. And, and um, trust me, I, I recognize the people who've come before me. And that's, yeah. to me, that's a big part of this. Like, I love that. Like, I'm a college football, you know, fanatic. So totally. the history yeah. of this place uh, really means a lot to me. No, that's, that's, that's incredible for sure. Well, you know, I want to be cognizant of your time. I know you got, got places to go and things to do. There's a, there's a lot going on in Lincoln, Nebraska right now, but we, we tend to close out all of our interviews by asking coaches, you know, cause, cause one of the things that we're really pushing here, one of the ideas that we're pu pushing with the coaches collective is that you can coach at a very high level and also be a, a husband and a father at a high level as well. And what are ways that you've found to be involved in your, your wife and your kids' lives while coaching at the highest level? Well, that's a great question. And I appreciate you saying, asking that because I think it's important. First of all, I never refer to my wife as a coach's wife. Okay. For sure. Like yeah. I, I, and I, there's nothing wrong with it. I see a lot of people do it all the time. So like, yeah. like, like my wife is my wife and she's her own independent person and yeah. she yeah. has hopes and dreams and she could do anything. And so I recognize fully that like, I'm only here because she's allowed me to do this, totally. but, um, make no mistake. Like she's not, she doesn't live her life in servitude of me. Like she is her own person. So I don't refer to her as a coach's wife. She's my wife. She's my best friend. Yeah. Um, and you know, I just don't want my kids to grow up being known as, you know, Matt rules kids. And so yeah. they're, that's Vivienne, that's Leona, that's Brian. And, and, um, I want them to feel a part of the program. Um, 
but like, you know, I, I'm going to go celebrate uh, the things in their lives. You yeah. know, we, we hear like kids are welcome in this building and, and at any time our coaching staff and support staff, and you can go back to temple. Like we've grown up with these kids. You know, we refer yeah. to, I'm one of those coaches. When I leave and go somewhere, I don't just take two coaches and hire a whole staff and leave people that I bring my staff that, you know, that I think is right to come. I bring them all and For sure. their kids have become part of our family. So I mean, we do family dinner every Monday night during the season. We, the coach, we, we have spring practices. I expect the kids to all be in here on Saturdays. The only rule we have is every coach and player treats each kid like they're their own. So if my son's yeah. talking trash and mad when he was younger, <laughs> I'd say smack him upside his head. Yeah, guys. no doubt. No doubt. You know, you know so, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I want, because I mean, what better gift can I give our student athletes than for them to see me being a father first and a husband first? Um, you know, I expect if guys have family things to handle it. Um, and so, I just think, though, people always say, like, well, it's not the amount of time, it's the quality of time. No, it's the amount of time. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got to spend time with your kids. And if that means that you got to be creative, they've got to come here, then they've come, then they come here. Like, you, you can get up earlier. I can get up at four o'clock in the morning if it means I get to watch my daughter play volleyball or it means I get yeah. to watch my, you know, you, you asked about Baylor earlier. I remember I used to give the coaches Thursday mornings to take their kids to school. And I never right. would because yeah. we were, because we were one in seven, one in eight, and I was embarrassed. And then finally, I was like, what a jerk you are. Like, it's your kid's fault that you can't win a game. Like, take your kids <laughs> to school, man. Right. And so right. I took my kids to school. And I think when you're grounded and the things in your life that matter to you start showing up and matter to you, you say they matter to you. Oh, family first. But do you put your family first? Right. Like, right. There's plenty of time to coach. And you know what? We can game plan and do all this stuff, Dan. And at the end of the day, man. The kid kicks the ball and either goes through the uprights or it doesn't. So spend your time with your players, spend your time getting to know them, helping them, but spend your time with your own kids and uh, quality and quantity time is what they deserve. No doubt. No doubt. Well, coach rule, we can't thank you enough for your generosity with your time and, and speaking to coaches. We've got coaches all over the country listening and we know how much they're going to take that, this wisdom that you've, you've given us and, and apply it in their own lives. And, we will certainly be rooting for you guys in Lincoln this year and uh, and cheering for for Big Red, man. Well, let me say this to you too. I want to I want I want to say this on this. I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate the way you cover football and advocate for football because it has to be a labor of love. Because yeah. I follow you, and I love uh, I love getting the tidbits that you get bringing to people. So that's why I'm happy to do this because for sure, uh, you and I have something in common. We both love football and Jim Gibbons. No doubt, we love it. <laughs> appreciate you, Coach. You have a great day.